Good evening and welcome to our journey through the Psalms. Turn in your copy of Scripture to Psalm chapter 73. While you're turning there, just uh, let you know we're beginning book three uh, of the Psalms. And Psalm 73 begins a series of Psalms called the Psalms of Asaph. Uh, there are about 11 of them uh, right in a row. And, and uh, those titles don't really mean that much, not really. Uh, but they do kind of give us insight into how the psalms were arranged. And these psalms were arranged in a particular way so that 11 psalms kind of uh, thematically connected uh, really fill this uh, portion of Scripture. What we're going to look at tonight is Psalm 73. Uh, Psalm 73 addresses one of the biggest issues that we face as followers of Jesus. When we seek to be pleasing to God, it seems as if those around us uh, who don't give a rip about God, uh, it seems sometimes like they get ahead and we don't. It seems sometimes like uh, the, those who don't care about God, who aren't trying to please God, uh, it seems like, man, they're strong and they're vibrant and they have all kinds of life and their future is secure. And we who are trying to please God it seems sometimes like we don't get the same kind of benefit that they get this side of heaven. Well, uh, what Psalm 73 does is it deals honestly with those issues. Uh, the psalmist really does paint this picture of uh, people who don't care about God and how they uh, appear on the outside to have everything together. Uh, but what this psalm does is as we unpack it, we begin to peel back the layers. And we don't see inside the heart of those who are far from God, but rather we see the heart of God uh, for us uh, and for them. And so this is a good reminder for us of how we navigate uh, life in general. And there are a couple of principles that we're going to look at that are going to help us uh, as we travel through from here to heaven, getting uh, being faithful to God from here to heaven and, and what that's going to look like for us. Uh, what we need to see first and foremost is the big picture principle of this psalm, and that is that God is good to those whose hearts are His. God is good to those who belong to Him. Um, I, I know that you know this, and I know it, but the psalmist reminds us, and God speaks to us by His Spirit right now, that God is good when our hearts belong to Him, when our hearts are fully devoted to Him. Uh, tonight, I want you to just think, first and foremost, uh, how has God been good to you? Um, obviously, the, the, the supreme answer is that God is good to us because in His grace, He looked upon us, separated from Him by our sin, and and he sent Jesus to our rescue. And when we, by faith, trusted Jesus, uh, God forgave our sin and brought us into his family so that we are now living in the intimacy, uh, living in intimacy with God. Uh, that's the greatest good that we could ever know. Um, and, and that becomes even more clear as we look at this passage. Uh, God is good to those whose hearts are his. That's what the psalmist begins with in Psalm 73, verse 1. He says, Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. Now, the pure in heart is a picture, a statement, of those whose heart belong to God, whose heart is turned 
and tuned toward God. The pure in heart, uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. We'll know him. We'll experience intimate life and fellowship with him. What makes our heart pure uh, eternally is not the works that we do. It's not doing more religious stuff than non-religious stuff. It's not balancing the karma scales. What makes us pure eternally is that God in his grace has covered our sin with the sacrifice of Jesus, where um, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're pure in heart first and foremost because Jesus has made us pure in heart through his own sacrifice. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and is weak in the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. Uh, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who are walking not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who belong to Jesus. And when we belong to Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. We are pure in heart. That's eternally and positionally before God. But also there's this picture of pure in heart as we see in the psalmist here. Pure in heart are those whose eyes and heart Uh, are uh, set on pleasing God, being obedient to Him. The psalmist was describing his own situation. He was striving to be pleasing to God and uh, trying with all that he was uh, to be obedient to God. And that is what he was speaking. God is good to those who are pure in heart. God is good to his family. God is good to those who belong to Him. God is good to those who seek his pleasure. God is good. Now, we uh, have said this in, in prayers from, uh, from our childhood. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we are fed. Thank the Lord for daily bread. We understand that God is good, but sometimes in the scope of, of life from here to heaven, we recognize the goodness of God in his grace that has rescued us and brought us into relationship with himself, but sometimes, sometimes it's a struggle. The psalmist begins to talk about the struggle uh, that he faced between here and heaven, and it's the struggle that we face as well. Now, we know that uh, there is challenge for us uh, as we look at our life, as we strive to be pleasing to God, uh, that sometimes we suffer because of our faithfulness to God. And, and Jesus promised that very thing. He said that because you belong and I belong to Jesus, uh, the world will despise us. And that's certainly true. There are places and people around us that are not uh, uh, pleasantly surprised when we walk into the room simply because we're followers of Jesus. What we see in this passage, however, is that we need to understand that that struggle is real, but we can help that struggle along. Uh, As uh, the psalmist said in verse 2 and 3, he said, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps nearly slipped. 
For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And the wrong focus can cause us to stumble. I go fishing in the mountains and I wade the mountain streams depending on the water levels and how much rain they've gotten. Those streams can be pretty swift. And one of the things that we learn as you're wading those streams is you've got to stay focused on where you're planting your feet. I wear polarized glasses and I look in those mountain streams and, and I fumble along but with great focus on where my feet are landing. When we take our focus off our feet and off the rocks underneath the water and where we're stepping, that is a great time for us to stumble and fall. And that's what was happening with the, stum- uh, with the psalmist. He was about to slip and fall because he had the wrong focus. Uh, he was striving to please the Lord, but then he looked and he saw that uh, the wicked were prospering. He, he began to lean into the idea that here these people are who don't care about God, but they're doing okay. Uh, you look in verses 4 through 12, and, and uh, the psalmist was fixing his gaze on the situation of others. Have you ever done that? These uh, people that don't care about God, you look at them, you stare at them. Maybe you're uh, uh, scrolling through Instagram, watching the lifestyle of the rich and famous, and, and you wonder, well, why am I working so hard to please God? Look at their life. And the psalmist looked on the wicked. He saw that they were strong even in the face of death. That's verse 4. Uh, they didn't encounter bad circumstances like he did, as far as he could tell. That's verses 5 and 6. They were deluded with their riches. Their eyes were bulging with all the stuff that they had, which is the opposite of pure in heart. That's verse 7. They lived like they didn't need God, and that's verses 8 through 12. From their position of power and strength and pleasure and prosperity, the ungodly let loose words of mocking and oppression for those who were striving to please God. So as the psalmist was looking at other people, that's when he almost stumbled and fell. Now, here's here's a great lesson for us. When we live by comparison to others, we can fall prey to subtle slips and falls that create distress in our heart and distance between us and God because we're looking at what they're doing and how they're doing it uh, and how they're not striving to please God. We are, and now look at them. They're living life. They're living large. And that's where the psalmist got, verse 13 and 14. Look, look, verse 13 and 14. Surely, the psalmist says, Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. The disease of comparison is one of our greatest enemies in faithfulness to God. We set our focus on what others have and what we don't. We consider how we're trying to live faithfully for the Lord and and still face struggle. But those who don't even try, it seems like they are experiencing prosperity, benefit, blessing. Is a pure heart even worthwhile, we might ask at different times? That's the struggle that the psalmist was facing. Perhaps that's the struggle you're facing as well. You're comparing your life to the life of those who don't care about God, and you say, why am I even trying? That's a great question for us to ask. It's a great question that God begins to answer in verse 15. 
But before we get there, I, I just want to re- remind you uh, the opening principle of this uh, psalm. God is good to those whose heart belongs to him. God is good to those whose heart belongs to him. That principle never changes. No matter what we see on the outside, we, we, we declare with faith-filled hearts that God is good when my heart is wholly devoted to him. Now, what the psalmist does to help him live out that principle every day is he focuses on God in worship. Instead of uh, the disease of comparison, instead of the disease of a wrong focus, the psalmist then turns his gaze away from the prosperity of the wicked and their boasts and their wealth and their pleasure and their power, and he sets his focus on the living God. And this is the turn that we need to have in our lives. We, uh, no matter what the struggle is that you're facing, and it may not be comparison or anything like that, but anything that is creating this misstep in your life, the antidote is to turn your focus back to God in worship. Look at verses 15 through 17. The psalmist said, If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue, to the generation of your children, talking to God, your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. He, he, he was like, look, it's too big of a question for me to try to answer. It hurts my head, my heart, my, my brain. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Oh, we need clarity. Oh, we need clarity in, in, in this journey from here to heaven and worship of God, setting our focus on him in worship gives us that clarity. There's a turn. The psalmist is no longer looking at the prosperity of the wicked and the way of life that they're living, but he returns to the sanctuary. And in the sanctuary, he sets his focus on God and God then sets his feet upon a pathway of faithfulness once again. Uh, Explaining to the psalmist uh, the end of those who don't care about God, uh, but also explaining to us uh, how God remains good to those whose heart belongs to him. Uh, So often we need clarity in our daily life, in our daily circumstances, whether it's a downdraft of difficulties or uh, an upsurge in uh, bad circumstances, we need clarity when we get our focus off others, and get our focus even off our circumstances and set our focus on God in worship, we get the clarity that we need. God fills our heart with understanding. And today, I I don't know uh, if you're going through the kind of week that perhaps I'm going through. I don't know if it's good or bad or if this season in your life is filled with distress like the psalmist, but I do know this. That whatever it is you're facing, if you'll set your focus on God in worship, uh, he will give you the clarity you need. He will give you understanding, and he will soothe the soreness of your soul. Now, we gain a new vision of what God can do and what he is doing when we set our focus on him in worship. We gain, a, uh, uh, when we worship together uh, and declare that Jesus is our king, and that we experience the power of his love even in the face of our suffering, that God is good when our hearts are wholly his, then God begins to 
shape our everyday in the process of giving us understanding. He also helps us understand the consequence of those whose hearts are set on rebellion against God. The principle for us is that God is good to those whose hearts belong to him. Uh, We're upright in heart because Jesus has covered us with his righteousness and brought us into the family of God. And because the Spirit of God dwells within us, we want to stay in step with the Spirit, and we want to live in obedience to God. That's pure in heart. God is good to those whose heart is pure. But God brings judgment upon those who rebel against him. God is the great judge. That's verse 18 and verse 20. Uh, Because God is the great judge, uh, the wicked will slip to destruction. They will be judged by the holy God. And so we should live fearfully in the presence of God. The wicked will fear God. Verse 19. The wicked will fear him because he is the judge. What we don't see in the life of, the, uh, of those who are far from God, who don't care about God, what we don't see is the battle that rages within them. Uh, they uh, have all these possessions, or they have power, or they have pleasure, they have all these different things, but what we don't see is that they live with a great trepidation of eternity. Now, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they deny eternity or even deny the existence of God, there is still within them, in their heart, the pangs of doubt and anxiety and fear when it comes to eternity. There's a day when you have to pay the piper, and God is the great judge who will bring severe holy judgment on all whose heart does not belong to him. We need to set our focus on God in worship because God then clears up our misunderstandings. He reinforces the truth that he is good to those whose heart belongs to him. Now, the third thing that we see in this passage is that we need to repent of our foolish focus. The psalmist understood that he had been focused in the wrong place. He'd been comparing his life against the rich and famous or the powerful or the pleasured, and he began to be heart hurt over his wrong focus, so much so that he turned away from it. Look at verse 21 and 22. It says, Thus my heart was grieved. I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Well, if something in your life is causing you to become bitter against God, uh, then you behave like a dumb beast. That's the point in verse 21, that because the psalmist was setting his heart and his focus uh, on the uh, wicked and the boasts of the wicked and the pleasure of the wicked and even their mocking of him for trying to be pure in heart, so much so that he would say, why in the world am I trying to be pure in heart? What's the use? In that moment, God then turns the psalmist's attention to himself. And as the psalmist turns his focus away from his circumstances or away from others and toward God, God begins to give him understanding. And that understanding leads the psalmist to repent of his senselessness. Rather than living in the grip of envy, when we turn our focus to God, we discover that our fellowship with God is life's greatest delight. Do you realize 
that the greatest good that any person could ever experience is intimacy with God. I know, I know that doesn't speak well into a, in, into a culture that longs to have the, the, the stuff now that we long to know and experience. It doesn't, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't translate well when we're living in a culture that's hyped up on pleasure above so many other things. But please understand that the greatest delight of your life and mine is living in intimacy with God. At the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore, unceasing joy, fulfillment, and satisfaction that no amount of circumstance or money or power or prestige or pleasure could ever provide. Living in the presence of God in intimacy with Him, being able to say uh, with the Apostle Paul again in Romans 8, this that, that uh, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We can cry out to God as our Father in intimacy, knowing He hears and He moves to help. And the psalmist gets to that place. Look at verses 23 through 26. He says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you, You hold me by my right hand. You'll guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you'll receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. As we live in the delight of God's presence and power, we declare that God is good because he makes his goodness known to us. I think of it this way. Um, I, the other day, uh, our granddaughter, I have a granddaughter, didn't know if you know this. I have a granddaughter. Her name is Nora. Nora got to spend a couple of days with us while her dad was out of town uh, and uh, so Nora and, and uh, Elizabeth came and stayed with us for a couple of days. And uh, uh, her dad came back in town, and, and Nora hadn't seen Will uh, in a couple of days. And I, I didn't get to see it firsthand. Edie told me that um, the minute Nora saw her daddy, she squealed with delight and ran and took hold of him. Guys, I got to tell you, That's the picture of God's goodness for us. When we return to him and and get our mind and our heart off that foolish focus, when we return to him and worship and we set our gaze upon him, then he opens his arms, we run into his embrace, squealing with delight. And there is no amount of money that can give us the delight that God's presence provides. God is with you. That's what Jesus has come to deliver And Jesus, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. And he came to give us God. So my challenge for us tonight is for us to live in the goodness of God by dwelling in the delight of his presence. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, infinitely above and beyond all that we ask or even imagine, according to the power that he is working among us right now, To him be glory in the church 
by Christ Jesus to every generation forever and ever. Amen. Good evening.